Hello, hello, everyone. Um, you are listening to Growing Woman, and I'm so excited because this week not only do we have an amazing, amazing guest, but we have a different name, <laughs> which is really exciting. So I wanted to address this at the top of the show. Um, so first of all, welcome. Growing Woman is a podcast all about the small ways in which women have found success in their life and they've grown in their life. Um, the things that we don't always talk about. Um, and I've changed the name of the podcast from Grown Woman to Growing Woman for two reasons. The first is really important to me. Obviously, both are very important to me, but the first is very important to me. And the first is that grown woman and the term grown woman, and I'm a grown woman, is primarily utilized by black women. And I've seen that in black communities and communities of color um, that women will say, oh, I'm, I'm a grown woman. Beyonce has her famous song, Grown Woman. And I love, admire, respect black women. And that is not a term that I want to claim. <laughs> That is not something that I need to be using and uh, labeling on my show when I want to lift up, support all the other Black women who are using that term and who are naming their shows Grown Women or talking about how they're, you know, grown beautiful Black women. And that is really, really important to me. So I actually have a podcast recommendation for you. Um, the Grown Woman podcast. I think you should go and listen to it on YouTube. It is awesome. And there are these amazing women that are hosting and they're hilarious. So I really want you to go check that out. And then the second reason is I just feel that growing woman is a better personification for what exactly we're talking about on this show. So every week we're talking with different women, we're talking about their evolution, we're talking about their lives, and I strongly feel that we're talking about how they're growing. And this name is just a better you know, embodiment of what I'm trying to accomplish. So those are my two major reasons for the name change. And um, before we got on recording this call, I let our guests know. And she said something really great. That was like, it's great when you can learn from those moments and you can grow and you can um, embody what you need right now and what you want to do and who you want to support. So that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, so come on this journey with me. <laughs> this is um, episode six of the newly named Growing Woman. And today, I am so, so excited to talk to Nina Guilford. Nina Guilford is our guest, and she is the founder and chief transformation officer of Fringe Transformation Group, where she cultivates strong leaders to new heights and formidable experiences by starting from within. Through years of mentorship and coaching, Nina has learned that vulnerability is one of humankind's greatest and most misunderstood strengths. She's on a mission to help others and understand the importance of vulnerability by helping leaders across the country become more vulnerable. Nina challenges professionals to extend beyond their capacity and reach their full potential while holding space for people to be vulnerable and feel safe in their authentic being. Nina shows leaders the impact and results that will come with creating a work environment built on the foundation of authenticity, safety, trust, 
and consciousness, which I particularly love. Nina, thank you so much for being here this week. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Oh man, Christina, thank you so much. You were reading the bio. I was like, oh, I feel so uh, soothing inside. (laughs) Like, oh, who is this? This is great. And you know what? Congratulations on the new name change. Um, I am a grown woman, but I also am very much a growing woman. So I appreciate you having me on the show today. Thank you so much for your support. I really, really appreciate it. You and I met like two weeks ago. (laughs) And we met at a conference called Power Her Financials, which is a beautiful conference that was put together by my dear friend, Trisha Tate. And we were both there for various reasons. Um, You know, numerous things draw people to these things. And um, I was there to be a support system for Trisha. And what I got out of it was this light bulb lightning moment. And that moment came from you and what you did in one of our round tables, which was express vulnerability (laughs) right here, fitting in with what you do. Um, During one of the round tables, you expressed a really vulnerable moment as to why you came to this conference and I talked about this in our last show, but that moment woke me the hell up (laughs) Um, because our moderator, Madeline, who also contributed to this really beautiful light bulb moment that I had was um, talking about that when you love something, it feels like flow Mm -hmm. When you don't have, you know, a direction, you can really figure out what you want to do. And in that moment, when I was talking to you and listening to you and listening to these other women, um, it felt like flow and I had to start this show again and had to continue these conversations and my visceral instinct in response to what you were telling the group was, how can we support you? How can we be there for you? And now we're continuing our conversation and we're vulnerability buddies. We decided last week and we are, yeah. And so we're here and I just really wanted people to hear more about you and what you do. Um, and if you want to talk about that moment, feel free. If not, no worries. I, I just wanted to say thank you for giving me that moment of vulnerability and it impacted me so, so much. Oh man. So I would tell you that that moment I was so afraid to speak my truth. And while as a coach, I, I, you know, help guide and walk people through this, these very moments in their lives. It's really something when you have to now put yourself out there and express a level of vulnerability, you know, a level of insecurity that you may have. And for me, it was like, this year, I'm just going to all of these uncomfortable moments for me. I'm going to lean into them a little bit more and just do it. When I feel uncomfortable, step into it. Something amazing always happens. And When I stepped into it, I was like, okay, deep breath. Oh, I'm just going to go with it. And the response that I got back was not one that I was ready to receive, which was, well, how can we help you? And I'm like, okay, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it, but <laughs> let me give it some thought. So, oh, it was a really great experience. And 
to know that my moment of vulnerability was actually contributing to your moment of flow was fantastic. That's so perfect. And the universe works it out exactly like it's supposed to be yeah. and connect you and put you in front of exactly who you're supposed to be with and in front of. So vulnerability buddies, that's who we are right now. And yep. I'm really enjoying it so much. So again, thank you for having me. Let's, let's go on this ride. What do you got? Yeah. So I want to talk about where you're from, um, who you are. Uh, so where are you from? Where were you born? Where did you I'm, grow up? Oh man. So I am um, a Florida native. Nice. I was born in St. Petersburg, Florida, raised in Zephyr Hills, Florida. Now most people know Zephyr Hills from the bottled water, but it's an actual city and that's where I'm from. <laughs> it's a small, small town. Um, in, in the South, they call it country. So it's really, it is country. I grew up on lots of land and um, two amazing parents, both um, military backgrounds. Um, I have a sister that I grew up with and, um, man, my childhood experiences were vast and wonderful and contribute to who I am today. Um, well, let's talk a bit more about that. Like yeah. what I know that you mentioned your parents in your bio. Yeah, I did. Um, I want to learn more about them. Who, oh, who wow. are they? So my parents uh, grew up in the segregated South, and with that comes a lot of do's and don'ts when you grow up in a household. Do this, don't do that. When you come across, you know, certain people, you know, say always yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir, it just, there were some rules and some guidelines. Um, but my mom, I would say is pretty much a trailblazer in her own right. She worked for the Department of Corrections for oof, 30 plus years. And she was one of the first um, African-American women to rise in the ranks of um, the Department of Corrections. So in the state of Florida, she was, I think, one of the first black female lieutenants Wow. And from there, it just continued to move on. She eventually retired as warden, um, which is pretty high up there as, as it relates to Department of Corrections, but um, it did not come without its trials and its struggles. And for me to be able to see my mom, who's five foot three, maybe, um, <laughs> the, majority of, the majority of her time being spent in male facilities. And um, mm. it was, it's like, you know, she, when she walked into the, the prison, it was like on command, everyone respected her. They have a level, and to this day, they still have a level of respect for her. So it's like, you know, man, how's this little woman, you know, walking into this facility with all of these men and she is really and truly garnishing a type of respect. And it's like, yeah. well, I, I want to be able to have that kind of respect, but not only that, she influenced and she influenced women to own their power. And, you know, she showed them, especially women of color, you can actually do and be exactly what you want to do and be. And for that, I then took that and tried to embody that for those women that I come in contact with and for the women that I mentor, but more importantly for my daughter, because I want mm -hmm. her to know you can do and be whatever it is that you want to do and be. Don't limit yourself. 
Yeah. So when you're watching your mom grow and rise within the ranks when you're growing yeah. up, what are you thinking? Is are you thinking I can't wait to to be like her, or or I'm you're just absorbing these lessons? Is it a lot of pressure? Like, uh, what is going through your brain? <laughs> a couple of things. I would say thing one going through my brain. My mom almost treated us like we were inmates at home. So <laughs> oh my. <laughs> So it's like, I can't wait to get out of here. Um, Mm -hmm. That was thought number one. Like, I just, I just want to leave so I can not be under the rules. Um, But thought number two is the moments weren't lost on me. So whenever she had like a pinning ceremony, she would invite, you know, family and friends and to know that people were there to support her and to see that the majority of the room did not look like her. So, um, like that was, a okay, it's a, it's an eye-opening moment, but for me in like in high school, I said, I would grew up in a, in a rural country town. Well, I was, I mean, my graduating class was small, um, mm-hmm. probably 400 students, but of those 400, there were maybe six, um, African-Americans that graduated wow. three of which I was related to. And that was including myself, like six, including myself. So to know that that's the environment that I was growing up in, there, there were just ideas and ideals that no longer served me. And I had a hard time reconciling. So to see my mom, like be able to stand up and be able to, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk and talk the talk and walk the walk. It was really amazing for me. And I would say it wasn't until probably going off to college and realizing, you know, like, oh, I'm looking back and I can see where my mom, you know, blazed a path for me uh, to walk. And in the moment, I can tell you, I probably didn't get all of the amazingness. It was only just like on a look back. And it's from that that it's like, I appreciate that. So I tell her that often. Oh, good. I'm glad. (laughs) I think that's, um, I think what you're talking about that you also mentioned this in your bio is that consciousness and that reflection that we don't always have in the moment. And Mm -hmm. it's a little bit hard to find, especially in difficult moments. Mm -hmm. When you reflect back on your high school experience and your experience in your town and being in the minority, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned? Hmm. I would say (laughs) being myself. Was probably the biggest lesson that I learned. So don't try to be someone else. Don't try to fit in. Um, I know it's, it's awkward to say when you're in high school, like be yourself, but really and truly, people like you for your personality and who you are. Um, and people show up regardless of, you know, race, ethnicity, religion, whatever, people show up and they connect to you, who you are as the individual and not necessarily seeing the skin tone. And I can say that um, because even growing up in a rural town, I still had friends that were of all races, of all ethnicities, of all religious backgrounds. And I prided myself in that. And people were like, oh, is that your friend? I'm like, Yep. That's my friend. Oh, that's your friend too? Like, yeah, that's my friend. So um, I wasn't necessarily limiting myself. Um, In the beginning, it was a little bit hard because you have a a group, a clique. It's like, oh, here's my group. And then it's like, "Mm, 
not everyone really fits in with what I believe in this group. And you learn to, um, you learn that it's okay to be who you are in the moment. And if tomorrow you choose to be someone different, that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, very meaningful for me as well. Um, our listeners who are listening to this might not know this, but I am a woman of color. I'm half Indian and I'm also Irish on my mom's side. And um, and there are definitely moments where I was the only person of color <laughs> and you definitely can feel very strange and very strange in, in that people, other people aren't noticing it as much as you are and that it's the new normal or, or some sense of normal for them. Were there any moments like that that you faced growing up or, or in the corporate world or in your position? Oh, all, all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, I worked for a bank, a major bank when I was in high school. And I can recall I was the only black teller mm. in the entire bank. Um, and there was a woman who was standing in line and all of the tellers were filled and they were booked and I was open and I said, okay, you know, next, can I help you? And she stood there and she said, no, 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 I'm waiting for another teller. So I said, okay, so, you know, sometimes people have their favorites. So I just left it alone and I serviced the next person in line and just so happened the teller next to me was open and that's the teller that she went to. And um, she was an older white lady, mm. um, probably mid seventies. And she's like, you guys let them work here. What? Yeah. Mm. So in the middle of my transaction, I'm like, wait, did she say that? And I'm pretty sure she's talking about them as me. So <sighs> Um, you know, I finished up my, my service and I went ahead, but I did hear the teller next to me. She was really gracious. She was, she said, you know, you know, them, who's them? She's like, she's like colored. Oh no. <laughs> and the teller's like, well, ma'am, everyone is free to work here. And she used the lady's name because she was on a personal level with her. And she said, you know, everyone is, you know, anyone is able to work here. She's like, but Nina is a great teller you should try going to her sometimes. Mm -hmm. She will make sure everything is all taken care of. So she, she embraced the moment and didn't let the moment slide by either agreeing with her, but she also allowed them to allowed the um, lady on the other end to know, like, you know, she, I, I like the work that she does, mm -hmm. like regardless of the color of her skin. So. Right. I mean, yeah. first, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And it's horrifying that people think that, they can do things like that in general and that's their normal. But I also think what you're talking about is um, the need for allyship. And we talk about that a lot on this show. Um, we talk about female allies in business and mentorship, but allyship when it comes to social justice yeah. is number one. I mean, we need other people to be speaking up and that's what you needed in that moment was for that person to give that woman a lesson and mm -hmm. to advocate for you. Yeah. And that happens a lot, Christina, especially in the corporate world. It's one of the things that most women are, are a little insecure about even 
searching or seeking out allies in the corporate world, especially male allies, Mm -hmm. because those are the ones that are going to able to put you in front of people that you may not have ordinarily been able to get in front of or um, give you access to a project that you may not have gained access from. So Mm -hmm. I early on, like I said, just being myself outgoing, I will introduce myself to pretty much anyone. um, And what I found is the corporate world was basically high school for me. So I already knew how to navigate in this world. It wasn't anything new for me. It was just, they were a little bit older and they wore nicer clothes for the most part. And (laughs) maybe they taught some jargon that you don't speak in, in high school. But outside of that, the social structure was almost the same. So navigating through that and knowing that I had people that I could reach out to just by them knowing me and me being willing enough to be open enough to be myself, but then also vulnerable enough to say, you know what, I'm not really strong in this area. I want to gain more experience in this area. If anything comes up, can you keep me in mind? Mm -hmm. And when they're at, you know, the boardroom or when they're in, you know, uh, conferences or at the table, you know, when things come up, they're like, hey, well, what about what about Nina for this role? Or what about Nina for this position? Or, you know, hey, we'll, I'll take that back and see if I can find someone. And then on the side, it's like, hey, this is coming up. You might want to mm-hmm. either apply or, you know, take an interest. I think it'll help right. you grow. So it works both ways. From high school yeah. to the boardroom, it's the same. One thing I want, well, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit and go yeah. to, because um, I love what you're talking about. And I want to talk about how you got into the corporate world. So um, where did you go to school? What did you study? How did you get out and into this world? And what was your evolution from there? Where did I go to school? What did I study? Oh, wow. So that journey within itself is, um, (laughs) it is dynamic. I would say that um, from high school, I went to a historically black college and university in HBCU, mm-hmm. uh, Florida A&M University. And I was there for two years and I was studying um, computer science. What I learned is that I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> Good lesson though. <laughs> so um, what I really loved and enjoyed was fashion designing and being out in that realm. And so it's like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to move to Atlanta and I'm going to go to school and do fashion. That's what I'm going to do. And wow, my parents supported that 100%. Okay, wow, that's, that's amazing. That was my next question. <laughs> yep, do it. That's, that's what you want to do. And I did that. Well, what happened is I had a little too much fun in Atlanta. <laughs> and um, my family started when I was in Atlanta. So I was pregnant with my first son in college in Atlanta. And so that took a little bit of a turn for me because it's like, oh, okay, now I have to think different. I'm I'm now responsible for another human being. So at PT, you now have this person, this human that you are now responsible for, their very livelihood depends on you. And when you're just trying to figure that out for yourself, like who you are for yourself, and now you're having to switch and pivot. And now I'm mom, and I don't even know who, 
what that means or how that is. Um, so I moved back home with my parents reluctantly, but I did so and um, took some time off from school. I got a full-time job working for Disney in their customer service reservations um, segment and loved it, right? Wow. Moved on and, you know, saved enough money to move out of my parents' home. And I moved to Orlando, which is where I reside now. And it's like, okay, great. And my then boyfriend slash eventually husband, we moved in together and welcomed child number two. And what I realized is that where I was working, Disney, it didn't pay me enough to do childcare and take care of a household. So I stayed home for about six months. And then I went into um, a friend of mine reached out and she's like, hey, you know, the hospital is hiring and I think you'll be really good at doing, you know, you did reservations. So patient registration is almost like reservation. So just, just different modality. I was like, okay. How old were you? I was at that time, 23. Wow. Wow. Two kids. Wow. 23 with two kids. And that me changing from being Disney to going into healthcare, that was my start, my introduction into um, corporate world. And that was in March of 1999. So during this time yeah, in Atlanta, yeah, you find out you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. When you found out you were pregnant, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. My dad is going to kill me. That's the first thing that I thought about. My dad is going to kill me. I am a daddy's girl for sure. Mm. Um, And then it was like, I was so afraid to tell my mom. Yeah. So afraid to tell my mom because while I knew my dad would support like, uh, you know, while he would be disappointed, he would support me to ensure that I was good. My mom, I think was a level of disappointment that I was just not ready to face. And so I had to call my aunt to say, can you be on the phone with me while I tell mom that I'm pregnant? And she's like, I'll be on the phone, but all the words that come out are your words. They're all on you. So it was a hard moment for me to have to tell my mom that I'm pregnant because what she wanted was so much more from me than she was able to give, you know, than she was get, sorry, than she was given. So it was, it was like a moment and I can remember like silence, like silence, like I see the words and there's silence and I'm like, oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst. She's like, okay, well, all right. So I guess you're coming home. I was like, well, okay. Yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. She was like, well, all right. Well, we don't even know this guy. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like, that's, yeah, that's true. But okay. Yeah, I'm coming home. We hung up the phone. Um, I remember my aunt calling me back and she was like, you know, I'm proud of you. It happens. 
Like, don't, don't beat yourself up. She's like, but you have support. So you can be what you want to be. Just know you're supported and you're loved. And I would tell you, Christina, knowing that, and I'm not saying I had easy times. Like there were times where there was like $6 in my bank account Mm -hmm. and I didn't get paid for another two weeks, you know, Mm -hmm. when, when I was young, a young mother and a young single mother. So it was, I'm not saying I didn't have rough times, but I am saying knowing that I had a family that loved me and supported me while they couldn't always financially support me, the support of, I know that I can reach out to someone if I needed to. I know if times got hard, I had the ability to, hey, I need to move in for a few months and they would accept me with open arms. Mm -hmm. So that above everything else was definitely... um, like a pivotal groundbreaking foundational moment for me. Yeah. I mean, cause again, you have allyship and, but you also had vulnerability and you had this person on the phone telling you it's okay to be vulnerable. You did a good job. Like yeah. you, you were vulnerable and it's okay. And we're here for you. And Absolutely. what a beautiful thread that you've woven through your life of those moments. Yeah. So you're 23, you have two kids, you're living with your partner Mm -hmm. and you're embarking on this new role. What happens next? Um, What happens next? I would say I went into it with a mindset of just, this is a job. I need a job in order for me to support my family. Mm-hmm. And um, my partner at the time, he was working crazy hours. You know, he had just graduated college, found a new career. He was, you know, working for a company that he was managed, you know, he was a manager at the company. So he's working 12 hour days, but he had to drive an hour to get to work. So that's two hours on the road plus 12 hours. So when he came home, it was just, I'm tired, shower, go to bed, repeat, do it all over again. And so it left me with the majority of the um, household responsibilities. Wow. And, you know, I can say that we were playing house, like playing house, because we were both young and really just didn't understand what it meant to be parents. Um, We both had parents, but when you are a parent versus having parents, it looks completely different. Mm -hmm. And I would say that we grew up together. So we learned lessons from each other. And at some point in my career, you know, I was like a sponge. I learned this job and I'm like, okay, this is good. I got this part down. So I was always asking, okay, so what else do you want me to do? Like, mm-hmm. okay, what else can I do? What, what else? What else? And the what else is like, I wasn't asking what else for extra money. I was just really asking, okay, I'm bored. There's, <laughs> we've done this. Okay, we're slow. Patients aren't coming in. And what else needs to be done? Show me I can do that. And eventually, I, you know, worked my way through patient registration and, you know, I was like a department secretary for a period of time, 
which then leveled me up a little bit more. And that was really and truly out of connections and allyship that, hey, I think you would be good at this role. I'm going to put your name in, but you should apply, but I'll put in a good word for you. This is such a great lesson I think we're talking about right now is that you have had this natural desire to learn more. You're in an entry-level position, essentially mm-hmm. is what you're telling me. Absolutely. And you were curious. You weren't mm-hmm. thinking, okay, this is where the this is where my game stops. This is just my job in and out. You were very curious and you talked to people about that curiosity. Yeah. So from there you and and you talked to people about that curiosity and you saw results and you oh, saw yeah. that you were building relationships. And so how had when you were moving into this new role and kind of leveling up, what did those relationships mean? What actions were you taking? You know, how, how did that evolve? So (laughs) what I realized is some of the relationships that I was building, most of the people then around me had degrees and I didn't. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well now I got to figure out this school thing too. Like, okay, I have a family now I got to figure out school. Okay. Now I'm in a situation where, because at that point I was in a department that communicated on the highest level, the CEO, the CFO, the president of the hospital, like there was communication, direct communication from me to them. So it's like, wow. Okay. I didn't realize that I was putting myself in this position, but I really put myself in a position to see the operations of the hospital at the highest level. And I have the opportunity to really explore what it is I want to do because it's more than just frontline patient registration. There's a whole world of operations and finance and clinical operations that I just was unfamiliar with. So that was another chance for me to explore and, you know, working with the regulatory department and just expanding my mind even more. Right. The one thing I really truly did is remain true to myself. Mm -hmm. So there were times, again, I was still the only female of color, um, sometimes the only person of color in the room, which isn't foreign to me. But now it looks a little bit different. And, you know, how do you begin to navigate your world when you feel so insecure about who you are? Um, You know, most of them were older and they had children and their children were my age. So it was like, Mm. okay, you have kids. Well, how old are you? So it's, you know, it it became a little bit of a different dynamic. Well, Um, also a lesson in being taken seriously. Oh, yeah. 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 And, you know, I had (laughs) had a female director at the time, and she could not understand that my parents could not just watch my child or my children when they were sick. So she had the luxury of her mom lived locally and her mom was able to just, she could drop her sick child off and her mom would watch her kid. But for me, if one of our kids were sick, it was myself or my partner that was just like, okay, like one of us has to take off. And right Right. now I'm making more money. So you're going to have to be the one to take off. So I was usually the one to stay home. And 
having a real conversation and being again vulnerable in the moment you know i've i've had these moments where i've had to just show up for myself because mm-hmm. i didn't necessarily know that anybody else was going to show up for me and being able to say you know what can we do in in this situation whether i have sick children what do i do how do i handle it what would you like to have happen how can this be a win win um, but then also to tell her, like, you know what, you haven't been the greatest boss. And here are some of the things that I really would like for you to improve on, because everyone in the office is talking about you, but no one is willing to tell you face to face what yeah. that really means for them. Wow. So while shocked, like her face was like, WTF. <laughs> you had that conversation with her? Yeah, face to face. It was like, Okay. Next day, she was like, you know, can you come into my office? And she thanked me. She was like, you know, I appreciate it because no one's ever really sat me down to say, hey, here are all the things that you're you're an actual, actually you're a tyrant. And for her, it was a little bit difficult because she was maneuvering in a male world. Right. She was usually the only female at the table. So she felt as though she had to be dominant on all levels and almost like a bulldog on some ways to to just get her point across while at the table and she brought that back into the office and so we had long conversations many many long conversations after that what what where did that bravery come from number one and then number two (laughs) that's your mom and then number two what did it feel like when you had those conversations I was scared as hell having the conversation, but you know, after the conversation is done, it's like relief. And it's like, you know what? I really and truly did it out of love. Now I wasn't at the moment at the time. I don't know that I recognize that I'm doing it out of love, but it was, I wasn't doing it to hurt her feelings. I wasn't doing it in malice. I wasn't doing it. I was doing it because she should know that this is what's being said about her and give her the opportunity to change her behavior. Now, if she doesn't change, she can't say she didn't know. Mm -hmm. Now the office can continue to talk about her, but knowing and allowing someone the opportunity to know, here's how they're impacting um, the people around them. It then gives them a chance to like take a pause and reflect and then make some different choices. Wow. What a, crazy lesson in managing up and what a brave thing that I think a lot of people would be very, very afraid to do. I do not, I, I I don't think I've ever heard someone tell me that they've had a conversation like that with their boss where they've said, people in the office have bad opinions about you (laughs) and this is what you need to know. Um, were you afraid for your job when you did that? Uh, yes, I was afraid for my job. Um, but I also knew that I did a really great job for her. Right. And I also knew that she wasn't going to find anyone to do a better job than what I did. Right. It's so different when you're coming from a space where you're maybe not effective in your job. Correct. And you're like, hey, boss, here are all the things that you're doing. But if you know you have the confidence that you are doing a great job, yeah, 
then that's totally different, like you're saying. And so that, I think that makes a huge difference. What you're saying is that you were confident and you're effective in your leadership so you could be a leader with her. So she, so she could be effective. Yeah. yeah. That is such an amazing story and such an amazing lesson. As you continue to grow, mm-hmm. um, how did that lesson follow you? What happened next in your career? Oh man, there were just a series of, um, I I would say women have been the connective, the key connector for me in my career Mm -hmm. up to a certain point. Um, And then, you know, I continued to move and grow. Um, I became pregnant with my third son. I was probably 25. Wow. 26, somewhere around there. Um, At that point, it was like, okay, I was going back to school part-time, like managing household, managing work, managing school. It was all very overwhelming. And, you know, people recognized me in, you know, in the healthcare field, in the environment where I was in. And it's like, you know what, you're doing a great job. Hey, I have, I have this position that I really want to give it a try. It's a new role. No one's ever done it. Let's see if you can turn it into something. And it's like, okay, great. Let me see. Oh, we succeed at it. Hey, I have this new role over here. I think, you know, you would be a good fit. Let's see if we can turn it into something. Okay, great. I grow it, expand it. So it's like, I took pride in the fact that people understood and knew that I had a great work ethic. Mm -hmm. I really was um, willing to learn just about anything. And um, failure was just a part of understanding what worked and what didn't work. And I didn't take it too hard to too much. I mean, it hurts when you fail, no no matter what. But it's like, okay, learn that lesson. (laughs) Um, But it was also a part of me being introduced to different rooms and being introduced to different people. And at some point I became like the preceptor and area director for um, interns and residents, which I loved. It was completely, completely out of just like a a chance. Wow. Hey, this intern is coming through. We don't have anybody for them to sit with. Can they shadow you for the day? And it's like, sure, they can shadow me. And I learned as much from them as I hope they learned from me. And um, it's one of the things that continues to keep me motivated even today um, within my business. It's like ensuring that people understand who they are at their core and they're young, they're out of college. And for me, you know, I wasn't that far removed from them at the time. So it's like being able to have the conversation with them about what they're going through, what the workforce looks like, you know, growing and expanding, um, and then forming relationships with people along the way who are willing to support you in your endeavors plays a key role. So not just allies. Wait, say that again. Forming relationships with people who are willing to support you in your endeavors, that goes a long way. Exactly. I think what you're saying, because I think it, when you're first hearing your story and you're like, oh, this opportunity came up and oh, I said yes to this one and oh, I said this to, yes to this one. One of the reasons I started this show is because I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, how 
did that opportunity just pop up and how did that person just come to you? But what you're saying is it's those relationships that you're building. It's the networking, it's the, the trust and the effectiveness that you're, you know, embarking on in your, in your journey, in your role that is so meaningful. So from what I can hear from you, you're saying that I built really great relations with relationships with people. I did a good job at work. I always wanted to learn and I openly told people Mm -hmm. that I want to learn and I'm curious. So that created a trust with me and all of these people Mm -hmm. to think of me as a reliable resource and a person that they could come to or that they could offer a new role or that they could talk to. Am I getting that right? You are getting that right. And the one thing I would add to that is don't go into building the relationship with what you can take out of the relationship. Right. That's not building the relationship. That's, that's not, that does not build an an effective, long lasting relationship. Go into the relationship sincere and genuine on what you can put into the relationship. Right. Give just to give. Exactly. And so once you put into the relationship, people realize you're really not here to take from them because most people are skeptical anyway. It's about you and you really do mean like, hey, um, if you need something, I'm here, like just reach out. And you're not always with your hand out like, hey, can I get a raise? Or hey, you know, can you put my, put my name in for this promotion? Or hey, whatever the case may be, just off the initial meeting or starting to build the, the, the relationship. It, it really doesn't work that way. Be genuine. Yeah. So forming those relationships, and I love this advice because I I think it gets lost on some people where they're expecting the next best thing, the next promotion, the next, like more money. Yeah. Which is, they're not bad things to strive yeah, for. Exactly. But I think what you're saying is you have to just start with giving and working hard and, and learning from people and being genuine. Yeah. Yeah. So being is key. Yeah. So when you are now this area director, <laughs> how old were you? You have three kids now. Mm. What did that look like? So I would say that my whole span of the of my journey within the healthcare system was 20 years. So I spent 20 wow. years within healthcare from ground zero until I was, um, you know, director growing, not just myself, but relationships around me. And it was more about putting in the work to helping others succeed, which is the reason why I succeeded. Mm, Putting in the work to help others succeed is the reason why you succeeded. Exactly. Exactly. when you put in the work to help others succeed, what did that feel like? Um, so, so I would tell you, it just felt like flow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt like this is exactly what I'm supposed to do all day, every day for the rest of my life is help other people succeed. And it paid off in ways that I didn't even know it could. Mm. So I used to have this phrase and I was like, you know, be careful who you come in contact with and how you treat people because you never know who will end up being your boss. And 
you know, throughout my years, I've had so many interns and residents come through and I treated them all the same as if they were one of my kids or, you know, part of my family. And I, whatever questions, no questions were off limits. And just so happened that about midway my career, uh, one of the interns that I had for a brief period of time ended up being my director. Wow. Uh huh. And then my VP. And he remembered me, remembered me. And he was like, you know, you're the reason why I decided to take a change in direction with my, with school and with, you know, my career. I appreciate you. And he's like, you know, I told you I would never forget you, but I really meant that I would never forget you. And it was from that moment, like from that point on, it was really and truly, he was the advocate for me in the room. Wow. A hundred percent of the time. Now wow. he in the neck, in the neck sometimes, but <laughs> he was the advocate for me a hundred percent of the time. Because you treated him well. And you treated him with respect and you, I mean, I love this phrase. You don't know who's going to be your boss. You know, you do not know in who in your life might be your boss someday. And that happened to you. It did. It did. It happened to me several times, believe it or not. Wow. So this vein Mm -hmm. of vulnerability, this thread that we're talking about, this showing up and wanting others to succeed. Yeah. And having that be the driving force behind your work and giving and leading with love throughout your 20 year career in healthcare, mm-hmm. how did you end up? I mean, it, it kind of always like seems obvious <laughs> after talking to you about all of this now, but what drove you to start Fringe Transformation Group? Oh, So we're in a boardroom. There are about 20 to 25 other directors, executive directors, all sitting around the table. And I, at that point, had been the director for our education department, our, um, oh man, education, project management, And of course, then I was the area director for our interns and residents, specifically for revenue cycle that came through. And I had been wanting for a few years to step out on my own, but have been completely afraid of doing so for a number of reasons. And it's like, you know, something's like tapping you on the shoulder, like, hey, hey, it's time, hey, it's time. Mm -hmm. And I was that person that everyone came to to say, okay, I'm looking to grow, can you help me? And it was like a line at my door, like knock, 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 hey, oh, you're in with someone, can I put time on your calendar? Because I I really want to be, you know, I really need some help. It's like, sure. So as we're sitting at this oblong table of directors and executive directors, C-suite people as well, there was a nomination. They were starting a new program and it was going to be for, you know, the talent development of our group. And I was like, you know what? Uh, Okay. But it was up for nomination. And so my 
um, CEO at the time, she was like, okay, like, you're great. I think this is what we're going to do. I was like, okay, great. We get in there and her nomination was for someone else, not me. Oh, Yeah. So I'm like, what? Deflated and just at a loss. And I was like, you know, there were little things that had occurred that let me know. I knew that we were going through leadership changes. I knew that there were restructuring. I knew that there were a lot of things going on. But the one thing I was really secure in for myself is that growing talent is what I did and it's what I did best. And that was evident throughout the organization. Right. So if anybody was going to grow talent, that would have been me. And Mm. it was really one of those things where it's like, maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to grow talent. Right. Maybe it was my journey to get to my point of, oh, I'm supposed to grow talent, but maybe this isn't where I'm officially supposed to like dig my heels in and grow talent. So maybe it was me playing too small and too safe. And it was in that moment that I decided in my head to resign. And later on that night, I went home, typed up my resignation letter, printed it out on a hot pink paper and, um, on a hot pink paper. I did. (laughs) I did. And I put it in my folder, um, for when I met with my CEO, I had a one-on-one with her and we were talking about some of the changes and for all of my teams, I put together like a proposal for the next 90 days here over the next 90 days. Here's how I see things going. Here's the structure. Here's what it looks like. And, um, I then like, slid the last folder to her and she's like, well, what's this? I was like, well, I'll let you take a look. And she read it and she's like, I don't accept it. I was like, well, you don't have a choice. Wow. <laughs> so then it's like, then she asked, you know, is it the money? You know, we can pay you more money. Is it, you know, is it this, is it that? And it's like, it's not the money. And if you could have paid me more money, you should have just actually paid me more money. Like, right. Don't- don't let me make me first my first the hand like that's no it's not that and the one thing I let her know I was like you know it was disappointing to know that w- once we were in the room the conversation looked very different than what we had mm-hmm. when we were in our one on one it's like and I feel really confident and she's like well I know that you've been teetering on you know starting your own business being a coach you know doing this doing that she's like. I'm so sorry. I, I, it, in the moment, it just came out and I, I wish I could take the moment back. And I said, well, you know what? You can't. And I'm grateful to the universe that the moment happened because here's my chance to now go and do something still a little bit scary, definitely outside of my comfort zone, but something mm-hmm. I believe wholeheartedly in. Wow. I thank you for sharing all that. And I think yeah. it's such a great lesson in getting that little tap, tap, tap on your shoulder. And, um, sometimes people will ignore that for years and years and years. And you had a moment that you just couldn't ignore it. And yeah. it was, you had to bust out that hot pink paper and be like, all right, here's where I am now. And I also think what you're touching on is, you know, growth is hard, but sometimes it shouldn't be that hard to do certain things, you know, sometimes when you're in a position where you have this moment of, of growth and this opportunity for growth, maybe it shouldn't be this hard. And 
the other thing that's calling you, maybe that that's why it's hard because that's not where you were meant to be. Exactly. And I love that moment because I, I can so relate. And I think that so many people listening can relate like your growth probably shouldn't be that hard over and over and over again. If you're not hitting where you are in life, like maybe that's not where you're supposed to be. Right. But you, you have, have to, to listen to that, like right. really pay attention to that. And that's where it comes into like tuning into who you are as an individual, as a person, as a human, as spirit consciousness, like tune into that because your body begins to tell you things, um, you know, right as you're laying your head down before you go to sleep or right as you're waking up, there's things that come to you, like listen to those things because that's what's going to be able to help guide you um, slowly but surely through the, through the path of what we call life. And it's at that point when you're in tune, when you are attuned and aligned with what that is, things become, I'm not saying you won't have challenges, but things become so much more clearer and you're able to see maybe the uncommon path that you're supposed to take. Right. When, thank you for that. When you had that uncommon path and that tap on your shoulder and the hot pink letter and you left and um, you stepped out of that door into this new career. What did that feel like? It felt like freedom. It felt amazing. But I would tell you, true to form, I just like started having conversations like, hey, I turned in my resignation, this, da, da, da. And then a friend, um, that very same friend who was, at one point was my boss, um, that said, I would never forget you. We were just having conversations. He had had a new baby. I was going over to see his wife and the baby. And he's like, hey, I could use your help. Mm. And from there, you know, that I've been doing that. And that was, I resigned in March and that came in April. And I was on the road every week for about 18 months um, helping his organization. So it was, it was, freeing and exciting and scary and just at some point it's like man I should have done this a long time ago and then at some point it's like well who knew all of this stuff was out here for me to still learn like I I, was a whole nother segment a whole nother world that I had no clue about still within healthcare but now I have something else to learn so it was really great I met a ton of amazing people in that journey. And then once that was over, it's like, okay, now starting your business and looking at what that feels like and you know how to structure the business and who do you call on and how to get more clients. And then all of that as a business owner starts to like set in. It's like, oh, this is a, a real thing. I, I don't get a paycheck every two weeks that's popping into my bank account right. on, on auto. It's like, If I don't go out and build the relationships, I really, truly um, don't, I don't eat. So, you know, what does that look like and what does that feel like? So then the freedom turned into a form of pressure for me. And I had to really find the balance behind, you know, being 
free and freedom. I say I have this thing called freedom from versus freedom to, and people really focus on freedom from. I want to be free from debt and I want to be free. So you're running from something as opposed to freedom to when you're, you're not, you have this freedom to, you want the freedom to do and you want the freedom to have. And it looks very different because the freedom from it's based on fear. So when you're looking and you're running from something, you're usually fearful. When you're running towards something, it's really about um, there's this level of excitement and joy and pleasure and you know anticipation. And that is the emotion that feeds and fuels the drive for you to now be successful, whatever success means for you. It's mm-hmm. that freedom to do something that really um, helps to solidify who you are because then you recognize what really matters. You recognize who really matters. Um, I would tell you every morning when I get up, I tell myself I am enough mm-hmm. because in this, as a, as a business owner, especially right now, it's like, I am enough. I have enough. And I love myself. Like I am who I am supposed to be in this moment, in this time. And so every moment reassuring myself of that every morning, it's one of those things that continues to keep me focused. Well, I think that when people are going into a new adventure, it's very scary. It's Mm -hmm. very, fear is there. um, And she is ready to pounce at any moment. But I think it's also, you know, you have to sit in that fear too. You have to sit in the uncomfortable moments in order to find that freedom too. Like when you're, from what I'm hearing you say, like you have to remind yourself, yes, it's uncomfortable. And we talked about this with Stephanie on last week's episode. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it stings. It's not great. But if I, if I remind myself, like, I want to be doing this, this is what makes me feel free. This is what makes me feel, you know, in flow. This is what makes me feel alive. Then the discomfort, you know, you start to get used to it. And I also think you start to realize, oh, this isn't that bad. This isn't as not as scary as I made it out to be in my head. Right. Yeah. So when you're working with leaders, because that's what Fringe Transformation Group is all about, is working with people on how to lead with vulnerability. Well, why am I saying this? Why don't you talk to me more about (laughs) what Fringe Transformation Group is about? (laughs) Fringe Transformation Group was all about establishing, um, helping the leader to obtain their best leadership style, understanding themselves. And so there's three levels that we really focus on. It's the learn you, lead you, lead others. Those are the three basics of Fringe Transformation Group. So most people just focus on leading others. Like, okay, I'm a leader and I need to know how to lead others. And it's really about, well, start with yourself first. Learn about yourself first because it's with learning about yourself and understanding who you are, understanding your personality, understanding your level of vulnerability and empathy. That goes a long way to now beginning to lead others. And it's that first step that most people are so uncomfortable with because most people do not want to look in the mirror. Most people don't want to uncover, you know, some of the deep, dark truths that are within. Most people don't want to admit that they have fears and that they are afraid of doing something or, you know, showing up in front of 
uh, a group of people. Um, but once you're able to take that in, um, understand that about yourself and learn ways to navigate through it, which is the lead you part, leading others becomes second nature. It becomes, you know what, I've been there because now you can relate to the person sitting on the other side of the desk or in this case, on the other side of the Zoom call. Like you, you are able to relate to them on a level that you may not have been able to relate before. The empathy comes into play. The vulnerability comes into play. Now, I'm not saying you have to tell your whole life story, but there is a level of being able to connect with others to understand where they're coming from, to be able to have the wisdom um, and the discernment to lead that individual for that individual. You may have right. a ton of people that you lead throughout the day, but each person, just like each child, requires a different level of leadership style. So this right. Transformation Group is really here to help those leaders understand who they are from the inside out. Beautiful. And I think that makes so much sense. And it, it, it is something that I think is really crucial in the workplace. I think you're coming from a very corporate environment, but even in the nonprofit world, like it, you know, it's hard to get through your day of work and recognize that we're all humans and there's humanity and there's so many complex feelings we're all feeling. Right. And that's totally normal. It is. And when you acknowledge that from what I'm hearing from you, when you acknowledge that in yourself, mm -hmm. you can acknowledge that in other people. Yeah. When you are talking to people about acknowledging their own vulnerabilities, you said that's usually the hardest part. What have you seen? Um, I would tell you that most people, um, most people hate crying in front of other people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just like you're interviewing me or having, we're having a conversation. That's the basis of how it starts. It's a conversation of getting to know who you are from my perspective so I can get a better understanding as to you know, how we navigate and help you guide through this. But at some point, there's a level of vulnerability that then releases tears. And it is at that point where people will just shut down. Like, I'm, I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel these feelings. And they pack it in and they pack it in. And so imagine years and years of packing in your feelings and packing in your feelings and packing in your feelings and you not letting them out. And I know that there's the, the thought or the old school thought where feelings didn't, weren't necessarily valid in the workplace, but look at everything that we're going through right now. Those people who are not used to feeling have to come up with some way of, you know, Un unleashing the feelings and being a little more open and a little more vulnerable because you're in our, we're, we're in each other's homes. Um, yeah. You're in my personal space. You know, I can't be who I was at work in the office behind the desk, you know, buttoned up and, you know, ready to go. It's now you get to see my cats, my dogs, my, you know, my family, kids running around. Maybe I'm not as polished as I pretend to be. And, you know, maybe I have this imposter syndrome that I don't want people to think I really have. And so it's really about letting them know, like validating that it's okay to have the original feelings of, I don't really want to tell people about all of my dirty laundry. And you don't have to, but 
you knowing that I have dirty laundry and I know that you have dirty laundry, it now makes us a little more open to having a real conversation as opposed to, oh, Christina has dirty laundry, but Nina doesn't have any dirty laundry. And so now Christina isn't really open enough to be able to share what her dirty laundry is with me because we're now, we're now not, we're not at that same level of openness or vulnerability in order to connect. So most people shut it down and pack it away and they don't want to deal with it. And what I'm saying is that your body will begin to tell you, you can't hold it in any longer. You cannot you know, it compromises your immune system. There are a lot of other things that go wrong when you hold in your emotions and you hold in your feelings. It's better to really just let them out. And when you do so, you feel better, but not just you feel better, your family feels better. And the people that work for you and with you begin to see you more as a human and less as a, a, by, a boss or a tyrant or whatever the case may be. You then become relatable. Right. I love that so much because obviously I think everyone can relate, but I also think what you're talking about is shame Mm. and the shame that comes with being vulnerable and the shame that you might feel if you're vulnerable with somebody and they're not accepting that vulnerability. You stepped into an environment two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago (laughs) (laughs) where you were very vulnerable and you had people accept you. You had this, this moment where hopefully you didn't feel shameful about your vulnerability and people didn't feel shameful about their vulnerability. Two questions. When you are working with people and you see their shame or you see that, that kind of vulnerable moment where they, they have that blocker, Mm -hmm. what have you learned from that? And then what have you learned from your own vulnerability? Mm. So I'm going to go with the blocker first. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned that two weeks ago when I stepped into the room and I was vulnerable. So the shame doesn't necessarily come from the other person or the other people the shame is internal. And Mm -hmm. so when people have the block, it's an internal block for themselves. And it's about what they think um, you're going to think about them. And it is not just what they think you're going to think about them. It is what they already perceive about themselves. Now it may not be reality and it may not be what you see reflecting back, but it's about the inside, the individual on the inside. So being able to kind of walk them through that moment and it has to be done delicately. It can't just be a bunch of questions, firing off a bunch of questions and then now we're done because then you leave someone shell-shocked or they go back into the hole, kind of like a turtle, like back into their shell. Mm -hmm. But it really is about asking the questions like, you know, where have you felt this before in life? Like, what what is it that has gotten you to this point and what moment where you felt as though you weren't empowered or you didn't feel um your best self and asking the question why really does trigger people to go within and have that conversation with themselves and 
sitting in the moment and being okay with having that silent moment for them because that's the that's the moment that's required for them to now tap into themselves to say oh yeah i am vulnerable right now or i do feel shame right now i am embarrassed right now i do have fears right now like having that moment for them and then being able to like bring them out on the other side okay so let's talk about some of them how has this shown up you know, what are some of the things that we can do to begin to like take baby steps towards and lean into this a little bit more so that it doesn't become a big, scary thing. Um, it becomes something that is more of your norm and not something that you're running away from. Mm-hmm. Um, as it relates to me and what I've learned is that I am no different than any other executive middle management leader, frontline employee, like I'm no different. I'm human, just like they're human. While I may put my pants on, you know, right leg, left leg, or left leg, <laughs> right leg, sometimes both legs at the same time with a little pop, <laughs> on the jeans, um, it, I'm still no different. You know, I still have to put clothes on. And being vulnerable for myself has been while I've experienced it in many cases throughout not just my career, but my life in general, it still never really gets easy for me. So most people feel, you know, when I create the safe space for them to be vulnerable, it's like we're in the safe space. You can be vulnerable. I hold that to the highest esteem. Uh, sitting on the other side of that, knowing that I now am opening up and having to be vulnerable, I go through some of the same exact, you know, monkey chatter in my head that anyone else would go through. And it's like, you know, I, I in this moment am a client and I at this moment have to realize that my fears and my self-talk are really important. And so the more that I can defeat those um, negative self-talk that I have, the better off I am and the more open, the more vulnerable, the, the more people can show up for me. And yeah. it really is about having the people to show up when you feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Nina, I know we're over our time and I, I want to just kind of bring it back to that conversation you had with mm-hmm. your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, that moment where you said, there are people talking about you in this office and I want to let you know, I see this so much as what you do now, <laughs> you know, it is. Hey, there's this vulnerable moment. We need to identify it. And what a gift you gave that boss to look at her the way she was reflecting people's perceptions mm-hmm. you know, the way that she was thinking people thought of her or the way that she she was internalizing all of that and how mm-hmm. it came out for those who are struggling with vulnerability as we're closing out this episode what are some things that you'd like to leave people with mm-hmm. uh, to ab- to access that vulnerability for themselves and to be empathetic and vulnerable with others So the first thing that I recommend highly, highly, highly is journaling. So most people really, they poo-poo on journaling, but let me tell you, like your little (laughs) journal is your best friend because you can say things, you can write things in a journal or type them if that's, if you feel more comfortable for me, pen and paper, um, 
make me feel more connected for whatever reason. But journaling is one of those ways that you can talk to yourself. And then you actually get the ability to read what you wrote and then ask yourself, like, is that true? Is that, is that really true? Um, that's just step one. That's one suggestion. The other suggestion is similar to you and I, find a vulnerability partner. Find someone that you have a connection with and trust will give you some honest feedback. And you, if you just need a moment, like, hey, I just need a moment. Today was a shit day and <laughs> I feel X, Y, Z and I just have to let it out. And then allow the moment to just happen, you know, answer the questions as they come up. And then the last thing I would say is um, be okay with not being okay. Mm -hmm. So when people are vulnerable, that is a definitely a not okay feeling. Like I do not feel okay sharing anything with anyone. I feel this feeling, whether it's in my heart or the pit of my stomach, but I have this feeling. Be okay with that and know that just like you, everybody else is having the same type of emotion or experience when it comes to that level of vulnerability. It's hard and it's difficult no matter who you are. So being able to open up and share is a way to connect with people. So be okay with not being okay. Beautiful. A beautiful way to end the show. Nina, where can people find you? Um, You can find me on LinkedIn under Nina Guilford. You can also find me at um, www.fringetransformationgroup.com. And um, that's it right now. Yeah. We'll link, um, we'll put all of those things in our description for the episode. Um, You can find Grown Woman, Grown Woman, whoops, different name, Growing Woman, (laughs) Growing Woman on on SoundCloud and YouTube and on all Apple podcasts, you know, that whole thing. Um, Very tech savvy over here. Um, You can find us on Instagram at growing woman pod. Um, We really love connecting with everyone there. And I want to shout out Mel who left us our first comment on our episode last week on SoundCloud. Um, Thank you, Mel. You just brightened my day and thank you for listening and thank you for sharing your joy uh over the episode with us so um nina thank you so much for being here i'm so so thrilled to you know dive deeper with you and talk about vulnerability thank you for being for being vulnerable today with me and two weeks ago and i'm so grateful that we have this connection oh man thank you so very much i appreciate your time i appreciate what you're doing with growing woman and um, i'm looking forward to listening to many more episodes Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.